Hello, everyone, and again, this is NLP Radio on stream. Here in Russia, for lots of years, we have learned according to American materials, American NLP trainings and books digested this information, and now we have prepared something for you. We've got a lot to treat you with. The topic being discussed today is basic NLP presuppositions, and we are having two guests in our studio. First of all, this is our usual speaker, Alexander Gerasimov. Alexander is a very well-known NLP trainer in Russia, is a famous negotiator. Geography of trainings and seminars led by Alexander is 22 countries and 70 cities. Hello, Alexander. Hello. And our second guest is Evgeny Denisov. Evgeny is a former officer, also a Stanford graduate, Cognitive Science Department. Evgeny owns a sound laboratory which creates audiobooks in 31 languages. Pleased to see you here, Evgeny. Hello. Hello, everyone. And me, Olga Sarkisova. I'm a radio NLP presenter. I'm a linguist and philologist. So, dear gentlemen, I believe we should start. And, uh, Evgeny, here are a few questions we have prepared for you in connection with the topic NLP presuppositions. What are presuppositions in NLP? Um, NLP is a method for modeling excellence, and NLP presuppositions are not beliefs, laws, governing rules or regulations, but are attitudes which lead to excellence. NLP presuppositions are an unbiased and compelling set of beliefs that one can incorporate into their lives, either personally or as an NLP professional helping a client. NLP presuppositions give form to the underlying beliefs and attitudes that competent NLP practitioners work and commonly live their lives by. Operating from one or more of those presuppositions when interacting with other people, friends, colleagues, or working with clients can be a massively empowering basis from which to facilitate change in an endless number of ways. When a practitioner presupposes something, they make an assumption that something is true and then build upon that idea. But it is important to remember that NLP's primary focus is not on whether a specific belief is true or not, but rather on how effective it is at attaining or achieving a specific desire or goal. Um, you know, Francis Schaffer said, most people catch their presuppositions from family and society, similar to the way a child catches the flu. But wise people realize that presuppositions should be chosen after carefully considering that which is true. Wow, that's a cool quote. I like it. 
Uh, well, Evgeny, what you're saying gives us an opportunity, lets us, uh, so to say, look at it from a different angle. It is... Um, we become more aware already looking at it like this. It gives us deeper awareness. Okay. Uh, so let's move on to the presuppositions uh, themselves. How many presuppositions are there in NLP? Okay. The presuppositions of NLP. Um, the following list I have supplied you with for today um, a list of presuppositions in no particular order provides us with the core ideas or or presupposed truths that all other NLP-based practices and models are built upon. And thank you, Alexander, for a question about how many presuppositions are there in NLP. Well, there is no fixed number of them. Because presuppositions, it is a kind of, um, it's a number of, it's, it's a set, it's a set of beliefs that you accept for interaction with the world. I think it would be a nice idea for us to, um, to start from number one. For me, it is presupposition one, accept people unconditionally. How can we understand this presupposition? People are not their behaviors. Whilst we can reject a person's attitude or habits, we should never dismiss a peer a person as an evolving science. NLP seeks to help people understand and better appreciate how their habits and self-defeating behaviors are not cast in stone, but are instead choices that can be modified in time. Yeah, that sounds really wise. Mm -hmm. What's the next one? Well, presupposition number two, it is, well, it sounds like evaluate behavior in terms of context and ecology. All meaning in context dependent. It is easy to take something that's been said out of context and interpret it differently from its original meaning. In NLP, it's crucial that we evaluate behavior and change in terms of the context it's situated in. What do you think? How does it work? It is essential. We need to ask questions such as how does this behavior affect this situation? Would this behavior be acceptable in a different set of circumstances, in a different situation? This evaluation is vital to undergo and help us understand who our clients are capable of becoming and how these behaviors impact their lives. Okay, I have always believed that context is everything. Sometimes context is much more significant than actually the core, the essence of the question. Presupposition number three is resistance in a client signifies mistrust. Resistance in a client 
signifies mistrust. If NLP practitioners exercise resistance in a client, this often stems from a lack of rapport or misunderstanding. No clients are resistant by nature, but there are rigid communicators un unwilling to change. Wise communicators accept and embrace all forms of communication that are presented to them, and therefore, if they detect any resistance, they must be confident enough to acknowledge this and do their best to build a rapper and interpersonal connection. Building and maintaining rapper with people is of paramount importance. If we are not actively managing rapper, we are less likely to determine the positive outcomes we are working towards. To get better results from our communications, NLP practitioners must be open to adapting and adjusting their approach. The same actions will always produce the same results. If we always do what we've always done, we'll always have what we have always had. Building and maintaining rapport with people is of paramount importance. I will sign under each word, Evgeny. By the way, dear listeners, here on NLP Radio, we already have minimum two podcasts dedicated to rapport, so you may listen to them separately. Mm -hmm. Let's move on. Okay, number four appreciate other people's interpretation of the world. I'll repeat once again. Appreciate, do appreciate other people's interpretation of the world. Good communication requires a grounded appreciation of someone else's unique model of the world. All people have alternative ways of interpreting and experiencing life, different beliefs, different values, filters, and so on and so on and etc. By understanding and respecting these differences, as opposed to jumping to assumption or judging, we establish natural and um, stronger trust-based communications. Number five goes, no one intentionally screws up or we can transform it into more clear variant, more clear wording, like behind every behavior there is a positive intention. No one sabotages themselves on purpose. Everyone always strives to do their best with the resources they have available to them. Whilst we may never fully comprehend the motives of others, it's important to assume the positive intentions underlying and influencing their behavior. Whilst the positive, the positive intention of behavior, particularly a bad one, is rarely obvious and usually difficult to decipher, it's crucial to remember it is there. No smoker smokes to damage their health. They smoke because they have a kind of 
habit and this habit gives them some positive feelings about themselves rather than assuming the worst in people based on their behavior be gentle and understanding and apply the same empathy to yourself mm-hmm. what's the next one okay six calibrate on behavior not on assumptions one again once again we do calibrate on behavior not on assumptions it is vitally important the only visible information we have about another person is their behavior human behavior is the only thing that helping professionals can observe anything else would constitute presumptuous mind reading as it's impossible for us to read the psyche of another it's critical that we become competent at calibrating behavior in example noticing recurring patterns of behavior co-creator of neuro-linguistic programming richard bandler suggested that one of the major blocks to understanding people was self-righteousness when we think we are right about something we stop seeking new information about the subject therefore it is important not to just listen to the words your client feeds you but to document patterned behavior you observe objectively our biggest limit it's a quote our biggest limit is not in what we want and cannot do but it is in what we have never considered that we can do unquote richard bandler what is the map what is the territory in terms of nlp from your point of view okay the map is not the territory for most nlpers um this presupposition has number one but today we have it on the seventh position just to show you that um there are no presuppositions that go like number one the first one the most important then the second one the third no this is a a a a list of presuppositions a list of beliefs that you choose for your interaction with the world and changing the world each of those presuppositions has its own power so ferdinand de saussure a swiss linguist who was one of the two founders of semiotics was the first man to create a division between words and the objects they represented his linguistic theory taught us that the signifier the word was not the same entity as the signified the concept he argued that when the signifier and signified came together they formed a sign that people responded to psychologically and the same way people respond to signs rather than things people respond to their 
experiences rather than reality itself. Two people can see the same event, but both have two different responses to it. This is because we don't have access to reality as it is. We do not know reality. We experience reality through our senses, our filter systems, our beliefs, our own personal map of reality, which has an agenda written into it. It is interpreting. It is interpretation. NLP works by changing the maps that are not working for a client into something far more useful. You can add more data in, try laying out different meanings or enrich your internal library by drawing up new comparisons. Uh-huh. To enrich your internal library. It's a very beautiful metaphor. <laughs> I like it so much. Um, number eight. Own your mind and your outcomes. Though precedes our every action, behavior, reaction, and response, it's easy to blame others for making you angry or for even making you do something. But what's essential is to recognize that all actions and emotions are filtered through your neurological system first, and no one dictates your actions other than yourself. Where can it be applied in ordinary life? People's behaviors or certain situations don't make you do anything. Only you have control over how you respond. You must acknowledge instead that no one made you angry, but that you allowed someone to make you feel angry, and no one made you do anything. You choose to do something someone asked you to do. It is only by recognizing that no one controls your body and mind other than yourself that you can start taking responsibility and accountability for your action. If we can become more aware of our thought patterns and internal processes, we can consequently become more efficient at managing our responses and behaviors. It is only by taking responsibility for ourselves and our actions that we become empowered. Evgeny, what you're saying is very deep and um, very true. I'd like to specify, you are saying to become more aware of our thought patterns and internal processes. Mm -hmm. And uh, could you please be more precise? How can we do that? How exactly, which tools to use? How can we become more aware of our thought patterns? Um, you know, Olga, we can make even a separate podcast for that topic. Um, well, instruments. Okay, we can, we can, we can, we can talk about reframing. Um, reframing or viewing adverse events from a different frame 
This NLP method allows us to open up mind to opportunities that may be lying ahead instead of dwelling on the negatives. In short, um, reframing changes the focus from negative and overpowered to positive and empowered. Um, how to reframe a thought, feeling or behavior? Well, there are some steps. Um, for example, we can ide identify the thought, feeling or behavior we want to change. That is the step number one. Then establish contact with the innermost part of um, yourself that is triggering the negative mood. This could be an image, voice, an expression, and etc. Then find the positive intention behind that part. Let's say you have a fear of flying. The sound of a plane's engine taking off triggers um, because it wants, well, to protect you. This intention is good, but the response is inadequate. Focusing on the positive intention, try two or three ways of responding that will help you um, realize such intention. For example, acknowledge um, the protection and self-preservation, which is why you choose the safest way of traveling, flying versus driving, then ensure your subconscious is fully committed to trying alternative responses and that it won't sabotage your reframing efforts. Check for conflicting beliefs and if you find yourself making excuses, go back to the previous tab and then find alternative ways of responding. Reframing, it's a, a, a therapeutic technique and it is very strong and you know yeah we can we can make even a separate podcast for this reasonable reasonable and really shrewd okay number nine people always have the resources they need nlp practitioners have a goal to help their clients become more aware of their potential and assist them to work towards their own desired outcomes in life. We all have the resources and ability to achieve all the things we want in our personal lives. If it's possible for other people, it is also 100% possible for us. The greatest potential limitation is to be um, is, is to be found not in the things you want to do and can't, but in the things you've never considered doing. The greatest personal limitation is to be found not in the things you want to do and can't, but in the things you've never considered doing. Okay. The next is, um, what should I say? <laughs> I, I, I've lost the idea. Um, yeah, here am I. Um, there is no such thing as an um, unresourceful individual. Only ways of being unresourceful. And you amend this by adjusting your mindset and tapping into your own experience and knowledge.
Other method we can um, we can apply here is the process of modeling where we elicit the strategies that another person has used to achieve their desired life outcomes. This is something we will explore further later in our podcasts. Yeah, that sounds really wise. Mm-hmm. What's the next one? Well, the last but not the least. There is no failure, only feedback. To view the world in black and white as a system of failures and successes is a self-limiting paradigm. We will always make mistakes throughout our lives, but to view them as failures is to determine our experiences by judgments and um, finalities. However, to regard our mistakes as feedback instead allows us to use a, a more curious and powerful learning mechanism in life. When we define our self-worth into what we are doing and what we achieve, we hinder out learning and make the process of learning much harder. Self-worth should not depend on definitive judgments, labels and statements. We don't need to label our results or results are either an opportunity to gain feedback or recognize our achievements. In summary, presuppositions are the central beliefs that provide foundations to a system. The presuppositions of NLP are the central assumptions that have guided the ongoing development of NLP science, its initial construction by Richard Bandler and John Grinder back in the 1970s. You may have deciphered from the information above that many presuppositions overlap and there are more which can be applied based on how one studies NLP. Whichever presuppositions you choose to embrace in life, it is best to consider them convenient beliefs rather than universal truths so that they can be easily adjusted to be of, of use to you and to people you contact in life. Do you believe in psychosomatic? What do you think? How does it work? Well, I do believe in psychosomatic and I do know that it does work. It does exist. Mind and body are elements of one system. Your body, of course, is one... Well, your body is on one level a, a physical object. It has a position in space, it has certain dimensions, it has a certain weight under Earth's gravitational conditions, and so on and etc. Your mind, on the other hand, is, um, is not in a particular physical location, it has no dimensions or weight, it, and it seems non-physical in every meaningful way. So, philosophers down the ages have wrestled with the question of how this immaterial mind or spirit controls the physical body, or is it the other way around? This question is known as the mind-body problem, and I don't think they're going to resolve it um, anytime soon. 
Well, the NLP view is very clear and it is very science-oriented. In NLP, we can look at mind and body in another way that makes that problem irrelevant. Mind and body are elements of one system. There are flows of information exchanged between body and brain at various different levels. It's all information flows. At one level, we experience these as thoughts and feelings. At a more physical level, the information is carried by electrical impulses along neurons by neurotransmitters migrating across synaptic gaps and by protein-like molecules called neuropeptides which communicate information and regulate various systems in the body. There is a, um, a constant multi-level or um, multi-way conversation going on between body and mind. Now, since we have brain-type cells, neurons, in other places that, than just the brain, in the heart and uh, the gut, for example, there's no hard and fast boundary between the mind and the body. Most traditional systems of medicine, such as Ayurveda in, in India and traditional Chinese medicine, recognized this mind-body link. Until the middle of the last century, Western medicine didn't until researchers started to discover, well, certain links. Well, I can make this story very long for another podcast, but to be, um, well, to make a long story short, it is very easy to prove that there is a, a stable bilateral link between body and mind. While well, you can just stand up, look to, to the sky, to the ceiling, upward, spread your arms, and try to say something like, everything is bad, I, 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 I feel bad, I don't know how to manage something, I don't feel that I'm in a flow, I don't feel... I don't feel strong, and something like this. And at that moment, you would absolutely, uh, for sure, you would feel that your position, it doesn't match, absolutely, it doesn't match what you say. Otherwise, otherwise, you can um, get a position when your head is down, your eyes are down, um, your shoulders, your shoulders are close to each other, you sit down, you look down, and you start, start to, and you start saying something like, I'm ready for the victory, I'm ready to win, I'm ready to be number one, I'm ready to solve all the problems I need to solve. And at that moment, you would understand that it would be much better to change the positions and statements. Because your gesture, it is the position of your spinal cord, it gives you signals and it gives you feedback 
That is why I think many of you have heard um, about um, poses of power. It is when you spread your legs, spread your arms, when you have a, pos a pose of a winner, of a superhero, and at this moment your body gives you a signal. You can solve the problem. You can manage. That is the way it works. And I think that this, um, this primitive, from one side, very primitive example, very primitive um, test shows us how does it work. And it does work, for sure. And moreover, I can tell you... Um, and again, it is another podcast, I can tell you a very short story. It so happened that a little bit more than one year ago, I, I have lost my opportunity to walk. I couldn't walk because I had a trauma uh, of my spinal cord, and all doctors told me that I, I was an invalid that I had no chance to start walking again. And, you know, the idea is that right now, before the podcast, uh, I have done my 25-kilometer run. I can walk and I can run. And you know what? Every single moment when I understood that I don't feel my legs, I started, I started to imagine how I walk. First, I was trying just to stand. Then I tried to make steps, one by one. The more steps I did, the more steps I made, the better dialogue between my mind and my body became. So, if somebody tells you that there is something impossible, trust me, I am the one who knows the correct answer. Everything is possible. And yes, psychosomatic does work. I am the proof. Wow, Evgeny. Thank you, Evgeny, for a really informative bright, thought-provoking podcast that was really super and we are very glad to have you here. We will definitely invite you very soon again. Thank you. And uh, dear listeners, if you found it engaging, if it really involved you, made you interested, please, you are very welcome to make reposts, to put your likes and to write commentaries down below as usual. Very welcome. Please write your favorite NLP presupposition, the one which appealed to you most. And uh, here we had me, Olga Sarkisova, Alexander Gerasimov, and Evgeny Denisov. Hear you again soon. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Thank you.